not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in this earth. The coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The word of the Lord. A reading from Acts. Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he has sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. That message spread through Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the, or, the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. 
The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Welcome to the second week of the Epiphany. Of course, last week I mentioned to you that an Epiphany is one of those moments where God becomes manifest before our eyes and our lives are irreversibly and forever changed. Last week it was the Magi who showed up and I asked you to consider with me whose was the Epiphany, the Magi or ours? Today, we remember and celebrate the baptism of Jesus, and I'd like you to consider the same question. Whose is the epiphany? Jesus's, ours, or God willing, for both of us. And so I think it becomes important for us to try to at least conjecture the impossible impossible question, why would Jesus want to be baptized anyway? It's an important question for me, at least, because I was raised in a tradition that believed that unless the water, unless you went under the water, no matter how good or righteous your prayer life was and your charitable giving, unless you went under that water, you could look forward to eternity in hell. (laughs) Yeah, really, that was it. Uh, I don't think that's why Jesus did it. I just want to tell you up front. And then we learned, because of that strict criterion, when we asked, why would Jesus want to do it? The answer was to show us that we needed to. It, it may be, but I'd like you to walk with me a little bit and think through, because I sure hope there's more to it than that. All right? And it's helpful to backpedal just a step back to Advent 3, when we got to hear why John was doing this in, in the beginning. John was this voice in the wilderness saying that all the low places were going to be raised up and the high places made low to prepare the way of the Lord. And he came out during this baptism so that there could be repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And that's real vexing because we know from the confession of our faith that Christ is like us in every way except he was without... Aha. All right. So, hopefully you'll meander with me on this just a bit. And the meandering starts with, what does repentance mean? You've heard me allude to this before or even say it, but it's helpful to to recapture it because a lot of times we confuse the word repent with saying I'm sorry. When in fact it has nothing to do with that. Repentance comes from four words in our biblical tradition and they've kind of coalesced into one. So just a quick, quick tour of the words. In Hebrew, there's the word shuv, which means to turn or to change course. So you're going to watch me shove right now. You ready? I just did that. I just shoved. All right? And all it means is that I've changed the trajectory of, of, my, of my movement. And so this makes sense, right? As you think about repentance, we're walking in one particular direction or we're living in one lifestyle and then we amend our lifestyle. Makes sense, right? Shove. The second one is the Greek word now, and this is the sole word used in the New Testament. It's called metanoia. Now, this is really the stuff of epiphany, and if you know the word metaphysics, you're halfway there. You know metaphysics is a way of thinking or thinking about things that are greater than physics. That's the meta part, greater than. 
Metanoia is a mind that's new, snoia, a mind that is greater than your previous mind. That's the stuff of epiphany. That is, not just when you see something, but when the lens with which you use to look at the world changes, it's irreversible, it's irrevocable. Sort of, the, the good illustration is you go from seeing a black and white world to seeing in color, all right? Even if you lost the ability to see color again, your mind's eye would still perceive it. Does it, does it make sense what I'm saying? You literally have, according to Greek, a new mind that is greater than your previous mind. And we call that learning, particularly learning from your mistakes. That's metanoia, that's repenting. There's a third word that, is a, that feeds the word repentance in English, and it's the Latin word poena. Now, you might be thinking, geez, Mike, um, the Bible wasn't written in Latin, although you know the Vulgate was the dominant translation for at least 1,200 years, right? And of course, that's Latin. So in Latin, repentance is called poena, from which repentance comes, and poena means making right what was wrong. Now, usually we think of penance, penance, that's the root there, Penance as, again, saying I'm sorry and repaying whatever I took from you. And we think of it as getting even, especially when we were the wrongdoer, okay? That's good, but it's important to know that biblically there's something a little to it more than that. It's, it's not simply that I wrong you, I make it right. It's that I perceive a situation is wrong, maybe for myself, but maybe also for other people, and I do whatever I can to right it, whether I'm affected by it or not. That's penance. That's at the root of repentance, that we do that. Okay? Then there's the last word, and this is interesting because Hebrew has 10,000 words, ancient Hebrew 10,000, English has 600,000, although we use about 500 of them at my house. Okay? Um, so, uh, depends which kid I'm talking to especially. So, um, other Hebrew word. Hebrew has two words for repentance, and this one's nicham. And it's the only kind of repenting that God does in the Bible, and therefore it has to be approached really carefully and is a little bit difficult. All right? and, and basically, this kind of repentance is knowing that you are wrapped up with somebody or some entity in a relationship, and when... when things start to go bad, there's this inevitable grief that's associated with it. So, so again, you just got to be patient with me on this one because it's hard to describe, right? But you, you understand the grief as a parent, particularly, or as a sibling, or sometimes even a child, when your mother or your sister or your little girl or your little boy does something that you know is going to damage the quality of their life. Doesn't it, in fact, bring you grief? You didn't do it, they did. And people may come and say, aren't you embarrassed? And of course the answer is, I am not at all embarrassed of my child, but I know that they have just missed larger life and it hurts. And so when God looks at the world in Genesis 6, right before the flood, and sees that the mind of humans is always on violence, the Bible reads God nehams from creating human beings. It doesn't mean God wishes God hadn't made us. It means God sees that we have settled for the dregs 
instead of living up to the dreams God had for us and it breaks God's heart. Makes sense enough? I mean, again, you've got really to wrestle with it for a long time, but, but there it is in short. So the, the one word we use for repentance, the one word when John's doing a baptism of repentance, it's meant to embody all four of these things. And it starts to give you, I hope, a little bit of insight into how it is that Jesus, who committed, was like us in every way, yet without sin, might actually find baptism compelling. Because here's the truth of the matter. He lived in a world, in a culture, in a family group in which the powers of sin were operating. And we live in that world too. And it's important to name those powers because we often have this, think, this way of thinking that's only about two or three hundred years old that God is so worried about our individual sinful decisions. You told a lie and that makes God so mad that you did that lie. And it's really important to know that the Bible is much more worried about the powers of sin than the specifics. What do I mean by that? There are things in this world that are operating that are beyond our control and they're wrong and they usually end with ism about 99% of the time, like racism. You can say, I am not a racist. Very fine. However, because of your birth, which you had no control over, you and I exist in a system, in a system where racism flourishes and lives and thrives and we individually cannot stop it. You might say, I'm not sexist or chauvinist or misogynist and you might not be. However, because there is a reality to that capital S sin in our world, we cannot help but live in the system. I'm hoping that makes greater sense. And just to put it in the weirdest way possible, I have more privilege in my little backpack than anybody else because I'm a white man with an Ivy League-esque education. I cannot go to my employer and say, you pay the black woman candidate who went to Spelman the same as you pay me who went to Emory or else. That's nonsense. We all know it. And that's sin with a capital S. The power that I as an individual cannot break, but that breaks people in our world every day. And so John the Baptist comes preaching. God's family is right here, so repent of that sin with a capital S and be baptized. Now, why baptism anyway? It's helpful to know that at the time of John, two, three hundred years before him, people decided that there was stuff in their lives that got between them and God. In fact, that gunky stuff could really make the difference as to whether or not they would have a resurrection. People decided that a couple hundred years before John. So here's what they did. They installed in their basement these little baths. They're not hot tubs. (laughs) We've upgraded the concept. Um, They had these little baths called mikvahs. And throughout the day, they would go and give themselves a ritual bath. 
because they were really worried about impurities in the world. Impurities like the food that went into the oven might be kosher, but the oven itself could have somehow been corrupted. So I've eaten the food. I don't know if the food was pure. I'll go take a ritual bath. I touched someone today who's sick. They may be dead tomorrow. I don't really know if I'm going to be unclean. I'll take a ritual bath. So what happened before the time of John, and these, notice, these are different kinds of uncleanliness than the kind of capital S sin I've just described to you, right? What people sort of ended up doing is almost having this OCD hand-washing compulsion of getting down in the ritual bath and getting down in the ritual bath and doing it five, seven, ten times a day. And John himself, we think, probably came out of a tradition that did it. But John does something different. He comes out in the middle of public and says, you know what, that impurity stuff, the stuff we're so, so worried about, the oven, the hands that prepared our food, and whether they were clean enough. Because, you know, the same thing with germs, right? Unholiness is sort of like a virus. If people don't wash their hands and then they make your food, you worry. And if people don't wash their hands of their uncleanliness, unholy virus, and they touch their food, it's not even a virus. Now it's that your immortal soul was in trouble. John says, enough of that. We're going to do this one time, one time. And what we're going to do is say, we are living in a world that is much less than God imagines. We're complicit in it, and we're going to do something different. So, imagine with me, because I didn't know the answer to this, nobody knows, that this is what Jesus finds compelling because history tells us, tradition tells us, Jesus was about 30 years old when he goes to do it. And John, of course, is absolutely surprised because he recognizes that Jesus is somebody more righteous than himself. You're a better man than I am, so you should baptize me. And notice what Jesus says. No, 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 no. This is the right thing to do because the truth is baptism isn't about one person being better than another. It's about us claiming the fact that we are all in God's family as equals. That's why we have, I think, that writing today from Acts. Peter has just baptized a Roman man in water having seen him baptized by the Holy Spirit. This was a man who was not circumcised. This was a man who talked about not washing his hands after eating. He was full of all gunky stuff. And God showed Peter an epiphany. God said, this is my child, my beloved, with him I'm well pleased. And Peter says in Acts, now I get it. God shows no partiality. Another way to say it is in the, the little quip from Desmond Tutu. We often don't realize how low God's standards are. They are very, very low. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. And Jesus comes to John and says, that's the truth of baptism, so do it. And how does it fulfill all righteousness? Because notice that Jesus repents in all four ways from what I just explained when he comes to, get comes to get baptized. He sure does change his direction. He'd been a carpenter or an itinerant worker up until now. And he stops 
And now he goes with a group of 12 people and teaches them about the kingdom of God. He'd been a Jewish person that worshipped in the synagogue until now. Now, instead of just worshipping there, he goes to teach. That's a shuv. Jesus agrees with John. Maybe it's new, maybe he'd always known it, but now he agrees with John in such a way that he will do something about it, and well, you know, he has a new way of looking at the world after this. And here's part of the new way. It's always funny to think about, you know, because when I learned Jesus on the flannel board in the church that told me I needed water to go to heaven, I also learned that Jesus always knew he was God, and he always knew the right answer, and he knew what everybody was thinking. Maybe. But what if he didn't know? What if Jesus didn't know he was God? What if Jesus was a great guy and a great listener? But what if, golly, what if sometimes he looked in the mirror, which they didn't even have, but imagine they had some, and he thought, wow, God loves my mom and my dad, but not the guy in the water. I could relate to that guy. And what if, see, this is what Matthew does that Mark and Luke don't do. Jesus comes out of the water, the only one who hears God's voice and the only one who sees the dove is him. What if this is the first time in Jesus' life he's heard the words, you are my son, the beloved, and I am well pleased with you. Well, I think it'd be an epiphany, don't you? (laughs) That's an epiphany I haven't completely converted to it in my own heart. It's one I have to come back to every year. But imagine how that would change your worldview. Imagine the metanoia you would get from that. Not just hearing it, but trusting it irrevocably. Do you hear that? Irrevocably? We're all really good that we're children of God, but that's revocable. It becomes epiphany when it's not revocable. What kind of penance does Jesus do? He goes around teaching people that... If a donkey falls in the well on the Sabbath, you pull it out. So that's what you do to a human being. That's penance. You see somebody suffering, you do what you can to help them, even if you break religious rules to do it. That's penance. (laughs) You can't do any of that without Naham, without grieving the fact that the world is not equal as God intends and that we're not living into the family God imagines we are. You see, that's at the root of all of it. We have another word for that. It's called compassion. And now Jesus goes forth in compassion with a new lens and a new trajectory. And of course, the world should not be the same. And then it starts to make sense, doesn't it? Why baptism is so important for us. And it starts to make sense why we do this with children and infants because back in the Bible days, you had to be an adult. I think we do it to all age groups, but in general to children and infants in this church. I really think this. Because when you look up that font and you see that child, that beautiful child, regardless of their age, you say... That is a beautiful child. Of course that's God's kid. That is a beautiful boy. That is a beautiful little baby. 
So easy to see in children, isn't it? God's unconditional love. At some point, we start to lose that for each other. Which is exactly why we tell those children or adults, those babies or octogenarians, that we will do everything in our power to uphold them in God's larger way of life. We will do everything we can because I think we come back to that over and over again with the reminder that that person sitting next to us in the pew who could be our husband or our wife, who's a clutter bug, you know, and and who might hide the car keys, is a beautiful baby child of God. And God is holding on to that baby and holding on to that little boy and holding on to that somewhat grown boy and holding on to that senior citizen. If we can imagine that, you see, that's why we come back and do it over and over again. Because we say, deep down inside of your big adult body, God is cradling you and I want to do it too. Then I think the biggest trick about this baptism is that we look at that person next to us, but we also look at that person on the other side of the church who took our parking spot this morning. I mean, my blinker was on, you know? And, and then there's that one donut. I don't buy donuts, and there's that one with the colored sprinkles and the chocolate frosting. And I was going to get it, and that same person took it. And I happen to know they cheer for the Dallas Cowboys. And so then there's that person... <laughs> And in that moment of irritation, golly, we, part of why we do this, I'm sure, is so we can say, that is God's baby. That is God's baby. And God is oh, holding that person who took my spot and my donut and my sports team away from me, you know? But God is holding them. And then I think becomes the most difficult epiphany for us to grow into, especially if you happen to have a J on the end of your Myers-Briggs score. Sometimes I'm not even sure it helps me to know that. I have a J, by the way, at the end. It means I'm judging. And uh, that is, it is so easy. It's not easy. It's actually easier, though, to look at other people, even, even misfit folks, and say, yeah, that's somebody's baby. That's somebody's baby, maybe God's. Hardest thing, though, is to look in the mirror and have the same thought. The hardest thing is to look in the mirror and say, there and all those brokenness and those things I could have done better, and in those funny-looking eyebrows I inherited from my dad, there is God's baby, and I will hold him gently and lovingly. I'm pretty sure that's what all of this was about for Jesus, though, and what it's all about for us is that we are able to say, yes, sir, you are a child of God and you always will be and I will do everything I can in my power to support you, whether your name is Ty or your name is Eddie Trelika or your name's Craig Morgan. We're getting ready to make the promise to Ty and of course when we do it, we're remembering that we are someone, maybe we weren't there that day, But the body of faith, the body of Christ on earth, made the same promises to Craig Morgan and Kitty Carmine that we're getting ready to make the tie. We do it so that we don't forget. We owe each other that. 
We owe each other the work and the discipline to look at one another and say, you are God's itty-bitty baby. You are God's beautiful child, and I will treat you like one. And the other epiphany we do is so we can do it to ourselves. We can do it to ourselves. We can do it to the people in this room. We can even do it to those scary people we read about in the news, including New England patriots. We can do it to them. (laughs) I know it's a stretch. But I think we can do it. And you see, when we do, this is when the total repentance that brings a total revolution of our world into God's imagination starts to unhappen. This is how Jesus can say, God's kingdom is near. It's right here. If we'll step into it and get rid of all this other stuff that we've chosen to settle for even though we didn't realize that's what we were doing. We were choosing to settle for less, and we don't have to. So, Thai family, come on up. And everybody else, if you would turn in your prayer book, the red prayer book in front of you, we're on page 301. Page 301. The candidate for holy baptism will now be presented. We present Ty Christopher Rager to receive the sacrament of baptism. Ty, do you want to be baptized? Isn't that great? I love being able to ask that question. Parents, will you be responsible for seeing the Ty whom you present is brought up in the Christian faith and life. We will, God's help. Will you, by your prayers and witness, help Ty to grow into the full stature of Christ? We will, God's help. Okay, now this is especially for you, but friends, we know this is for us too, so if you want to join in answering these questions, it's helpful for us all to do it on page 302. Do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? Do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? Do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? This is just for you. Remember, you're making this to tie and to each other and to all of God's children throughout the world. Will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support Ty and his life in Christ? So let us join with Ty, who is committing himself to Christ, and renew our own baptismal covenant. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers? I will with God's help. Will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? I will with God's help. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? I will with God's help. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? I will with God's help. Let us now pray for Ty, who is to receive the sacrament of new birth. Deliver them, O Lord, from the way of sin and death. Lord, hear our prayer. Open his heart to your grace and truth. Lord, hear our prayer. Fill him with your holy and life-giving spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. Keep him in the faith and communion of your holy church. Lord, hear our prayer. Teach him to love others in the power of, of the spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. Send him into the world in witness to your love. Lord, hear our prayer. Bring him to the fullness of your peace and glory. Lord, hear our prayer. Grant, O Lord, that all who are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, your Son, may live in the power of his resurrection and look for him to come again in glory, who lives and reigns now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. We thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In it, your son Jesus Christ received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ, to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. We thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. Through it, we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, in joyful obedience to your Son, we bring into his fellowship those who come to him in faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now sanctify this water, we pray you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that those who are here cleansed from sin and born again may continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Savior, to him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Ty, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Ty, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you are marked as God's very own forever and ever. Amen. Okay, now we're going to sing Ty into the kingdom of God together.
Now we're all together here on page 308. And let us welcome the newly baptized. We receive you into the household of God, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal priesthood. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by water and the Holy Spirit you have bestowed upon Ty, your servant, the forgiveness of sin and have raised him to the new life of grace. Sustain him, O Lord, in your Holy Spirit. Give him an inquiring and discerning heart, the courage to will and persevere, a spirit to know and to love you, and the gift of joy and wonder in all your works. Amen. Amen. And go ahead and have a seat, because, you know, we only get to do the baptism of our Lord once a year. And since we're having a reminder of what God has done for us and will do for us, let's have a real reminder. <laughs> Guard your mascara, ladies. <laughs> but remember that you are God's child, holy and completely loved, that God gives us water to refresh us, to nourish us, to wash away all that separates us from living the larger life that God intends for us to live every day. May you be refreshed, hydrated, cooled off to see in others God's perfect and unrelenting love for them. May you be refreshed and nourished and hydrated to see God's perfect unrelenting love for you. May you be refreshed, hydrated, nourished to give God's unrelenting love to one another. You should see how people do this when they don't like somebody. <laughs> yeah, they really refresh you. <laughs> and now, refreshed with tie before us for ministry and for God's love, let's stand together. And may the peace of the Lord be always with you.
good morning and thank you for worshiping with us at St. Thomas and helping celebrate new epiphanies in our world. Um, if you are here for the first time or if you've never done this before, you'll find in front of you in the pew um, some cards that are uh, visitor cards. We'd be so grateful if you'd fill that out and put that in the plates when they're passage so we have a record of your visit. Um, there are several things I'd like to draw to your attention. Um, this is a great problem to have, being an active church. And one of them is that yesterday we had what's called a sew-a-thon for the days for girls. Now, I've told you the last two weeks, uh, the purpose of this was to make hygiene kits that allow women throughout the world, including in the United States, to be able to go to school every day that there's a school day instead of having to miss approximately a week each month. And uh, last year something like 9,000 of these were given out by just a local consortium of people. And yesterday at that sew-a-thon, there were, when I, at one point, and there may have been more after I left, uh, upwards of 50 people in Christ Hall sewing away, creating larger life for people they'd never met. Now I want you to know, it sort of looked like a sweatshop for righteousness. You know, I mean, it was just absolutely packed full of people. And... Um, you see, the recipients of these hygiene kits will not be able to thank you, so let me thank you on their behalf. Thank you for sharing your space, if you're there, for your resources and your time, for sharing your prayers to make a difference in these women's lives. Thank you. A um, few announcements to call to your attention. Um, the first is that... We have some lovely folks here, and, and one of them's in the back. Uh, Larry Roberts is here, but also David Gilfillian, who do uh, free in-person tax preparation through the AARP. So if that's something you think you could use, Larry can help steer you how to get that. And it's a tremendous ministry that he gives outside of St. Thomas, but since he's here, I just think you should know you can benefit from it. Another thing to call your attention to is this yellow piece of paper. Uh, this is our new vestry slate. So in two weeks from today, Sunday, uh, the 29th, at 9.15, we'll have a Holy Smoker provided breakfast in Christ Hall. Uh, as we're kind of finishing our breakfast up, we'll have our annual meeting. And one of the things we do at the annual meeting is elect our vestry. And we have found four tremendously qualified, fantastic human beings who are willing to carry the burden of leadership here at St. Thomas, and this tells you a bit about them. Uh, today at this service, Liz Corley is the only one. The other three were at, all, were at 8 o'clock. Um, read about them, pray for them, thank them for being willing to represent you and lead them as vestry members, and again, that meeting will be in two weeks. Um, if you ask for offering envelopes, sorry we're late getting them, but they're out there on the, on the credenza to your right as you leave. And then there's one other opportunity that's important to mention today, uh, which is that we have a tremendous school here for pre-K-3 through fifth grade. And, and that school provides, I'll tell you, top quality education, because I, 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 I have a vested interest in it since my daughter goes there. And, and it's been so life-giving for her educationally. But you know, really what it does in this community that's unparalleled is, is it loves our kids. It gives them the Episcopal liturgy five days a week in chapel. Uh, it has teachers who offer and dedicate themselves not only to the, the acumen of, of knowledge, but to wisdom and faith as well. And because of that school, our parking lot is filled five days a week, Monday through Friday, when most churches have nobody there. It's great stewardship, 
It's great service, and, and, and I want to invite your support. And you may have already received an annual fund letter. There's another big party coming up, a festive way to do this, um, the St. Thomas Gala. And some of you will receive invitations. We, we, they didn't send them to everybody in the church. So here's your invitation now formally. There it is in the bulletin. If you'd like to go see me or see David Giles or any other school board member, and, and it's, it's a fantastic party and a fantastic thing to celebrate what we're doing for our children and this community. So often we think our public schools are good enough. Maybe they are, but I want to tell you what the service looks like. It looks like children in our school saying, even though we go every week to church X, I want to be baptized here with my real family. That's an amazing thing to hear. It looks like children going home and saying, Mom, shouldn't we pray before eating? <laughs> uh, these are real stories, by the way. And, and, and they're amazing, and that's what we do. And it also looks like, of course, these children and families joining us and doing their own service to the community, whether they be through feeding people that could use a meal or providing dignity in other ways. So continue to pray for our school. There is the opportunities to support it. And as always, walk in love as Christ first loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God.